Welcome to Soothing Harmonies of Love, Psyche, and Soul with host Danielle Burns, an inspiring program that explores real stories and rich melodies of love, creativity, and wisdom with guests from a deep healing perspective. Discover how sacred archetypal experiences illuminate new areas of awareness during life transitions. Now, here is Danielle Burns. Hello, everyone. I want to thank you all for coming back to another episode of Love, Psyche, and Soul. And today we are exploring the reflection seen in the world, a journey layered with multiple experiences captured in the reflection of creativity that is grounded in the essence of nature. Nature reflects all the areas we are exploring about ourselves to include our challenges, our lessons, and the ways in which we are growing beyond the embodied realm. The spiritual reflection holds the key to growth, deepening the process of change and helping us learn the game of life that in time renders higher understanding. While likened to initiation processes that present various challenges and dangers and the possibility of death, the archetypal nature of these experiences signify a journey into the higher self via the gravitational pull of the creative matrix where one discovers his or her own mythic drama. Situated within the bold myths and conjectures of one's psyche, the uncanny, uh, as we're saying it, produces a quest for deeper sources of self-knowledge and meaning. And such experiences give rise to a participatory uh, participation mystique, forgive me, between nature and human beings that, like consciousness itself, is not seen but felt as a source of archetypal energy. So in this episode, we will learn to navigate this journey, requiring us to tap into the cosmic realm where the sound of nature extends life into other sources of living that take in the internal messages rendered upon heating. Today, we will listen to the story of our very special guest, Dr. Jennifer Selig, an esteemed teacher, writer, and publisher in Northern California. After wandering the country during her 40-year pondering, uh, she uh, reflected on the idea of, who am I if I am not a teacher? She realized the answer was simply, I am a teacher. And her story highlights the reflection seen in the world and the keys to growth and understanding. So get focused. The clock reflects vision. And Jennifer's story is the rhythm of the hour. And so now we will begin with our featured story. Three events occurred for me when I was 12 years old that would shape who I am and how I see the world. Those three events were all an encounter with the archetype of death. Not death as in the slow passing away of a grandparent or somebody old who's had a sickness or disease, but the possibility of sudden violent death that can strike anyone. My first encounter came with a knock on the front door of our home early one evening. I went to the front door and there were two policemen in blue standing there, heads down. They had come to tell us that my father had been in a car accident and it was very bad. 
They said my mom needed to go to him immediately and they would take her. I don't remember how I got to my grandparents, or whether they came and picked me up, whether the police took me there, but I do remember my mom calling much later that night, saying my dad was very badly injured, a terrible head injury that bashed in his skull. Those were my words, I'm sure, not hers. She tried to sound brave, but it was really touch and go, and no one knew whether he'd survive or not. He did live. I mean, he physically survived. But in many ways, he died that night, because he was never the same afterwards. The traumatic brain injury stole his personality. And when he came home, months later, he was really quite unrecognizable. I learned how tenuous life really is and how life can be divided into a before and after with something so mundane, really, as a knock on the door. A few months later, I was out for recess at my middle school, just hanging out with friends, doing whatever 12-year-olds do, probably gossiping. I don't remember what exactly, but I do remember exactly where we were standing, under a big oak tree at the far end of the school property when a friend ran up to tell us about a deadly school bus accident. Our high school choir was on their way to meet up with another choir for a day of friendship when the bus driver took an exit off the freeway. It was something to do with the brakes malfunctioning, but whatever the specifics, the bus flew over the off-ramp and landed upside down. 52 students and teachers and chaperones were on that bus. No seatbelts. So you can imagine the catastrophic results. 28 students and one adult were killed. Over half the bus. Every single person on that bus who lived was injured. Almost all critically. It was the second worst bus crash in U.S. history and it devastated our small community. Everybody knew somebody who died. While we waited to find out who lived and who died, I just remember being stunned, absolutely stunned. How could this happen? They were so young, just high school students out on a fun field trip. One minute probably laughing and being loud and joking with friends. Or maybe they were singing on that bus together, practicing their songs. And the next minute, over half of them were dead. It's hard, so hard to wrap your head around sudden death like this. It's hard at any age, but it's really hard when you're 12. And it echoed in some ways what had happened with my dad. Fine one moment, just driving in the country, and nearly dead the next moment. My third encounter with death that year was different because I was the one who almost died. I used to house sit for our next door neighbors, and I don't know if all kids are like this, are as nosy as I was, but I like to hang out at their house and look at all their stuff. I think just trying to make sense out of how adults live. So I invited this friend over, this guy my age named Tim, and we were having a good time, kind of going through the house, going into different rooms, opening the closets, which I'll never forget because The woman had a whole closet lined with heads, styrofoam heads with wigs on them. 
And I remember Tim and I trying on those wigs and prancing around the house, like silly 12-year-olds that we were. At some point, I went to sit on the master bed and I opened the nightstand drawer. Tim came over and looked inside, and there was a gun. I don't know what overcame Tim. I saw a shift in his face. His eyes got really big, almost like he was possessed. And he slowly reached inside the drawer, picked up the gun, brought it within an inch of my forehead, and pulled the trigger. It might have looked like a fake gun. I don't know. It still shocks me to think that he did this. But I don't think he was thinking at all in that moment. So he pulled the trigger, and the gun goes off so loud I can still hear it. And I felt the pressure on my forehead, and I fell back on the bed. It's hard to describe what happened next without using a cliche like time stood still, but it really did. I remember lying there, so sure I was dead. Not afraid or anything, just curious about what the afterlife was going to be like, and whether I was going to heaven. After what seemed like a long time, but was probably just seconds, I opened my eyes, and all I could see was the bedroom ceiling, all white, which for a second I thought might have been heaven or clouds or something. I could feel this pressure on my forehead, so I slowly brought my hand up to, I guess, to try to touch the hole in my forehead, but there wasn't one. I sat up and looked at Tim, who was still holding the gun and who was so white and pale, like he had seen a ghost. I'm sure he thought he had killed me too, but there was no blood and no hole in my forehead. So what caused the sound of the shot fired? We didn't know then that there was such a thing as a gun that shoots blanks. We were so dumb, I don't even think we knew what we thought. (laughs) We started going around the room looking for the bullet as if it had ricocheted off my forehead. We never found that bullet because there never was one. And I went home that night and all I could think of was that I could have died. I could have died if my neighbors had a real gun by their bed that shot bullets instead of blanks. That could have been the last moment of my life. No warning, No chance for reflection, no saying goodbye to family, no getting my 12-year-old affairs in order, no nothing, no more me. It was a lot that year, these three brushes with sudden death, and I, I know it scarred my psyche. I wouldn't say I was obsessed with death necessarily, but I was just hyper aware of the precariousness and and the preciousness of life and the importance of living every minute like it could be your last and really not taking anything for granted or anyone for granted because you never knew if you were going to see them again. Well, you know how they say bad things occur in threes? This happened to me again, these three encounters with death, but this time I was 21, not 12. In my 21st year, another round of reminders, so to speak. The first was, again, an encounter with my own possible death. It was winter, and my boyfriend at the time, John, and I had taken a day off of work. I was working at a hospital that year as a lab technician. It was a really bad day. The snow conditions were terrible. 
And because of that, and because it was a weekday, almost no one was on the slopes. John and I were young and dumb. We were really inexperienced skiers. But we decided to make the best of a bad day and go for broke. We would race each other down the slope, best two out of three, and then go home. Not smart. On round one, we just went kamikaze down the slope as fast as we could, really reckless. And I won. Not by much, but I won. This spurred the competition, of course, as we both had a lot at stake in winning round two. So down we went again, barely in control of our skis, John in front of me this time, until he fell. He fell, and I knew if I didn't turn sharply, I was going to plow into him. So I did. I took an immediate turn to the left and found myself heading at light speed toward a grove of trees. There was no way I could stop myself. I was going way too fast, and I was an inexperienced skier. So what I did instead, maybe out of survival instinct, was to fall. Ah, it is through this cutting, ripping, and dissolving of the self that the uncanny continually awakens the psyche to what suffers. So I invite you to return to this journey, awaiting what happens next in the life of our very special guest, Dr. Jennifer Selig. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this short break. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. Everything changes. All roads lead to an end. Yet, here on the sea of the setting sun, you can experience the bliss of movement and never say goodbye. With the wind at your side, swaying to the currents of life, you can listen to velvety skies whispering inviting you to pause and reflect along this lover's aisle. Conscious healing and consulting facilitates new levels of empowerment, growth, and awareness using techniques rooted in wisdom, traditions of the heart, and other ways of knowing. While we can't change difficult situations in your past, we will work together to better understand your present circumstances for a more meaningful life. Why not slow down and set yourself free? Let the wonder of your heart, soul, and imagination set sail for a change. Visit Conscious Healing and Consulting on the web at ConsciousHealingConsult.com. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit voiceamerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America.
You are tuned in to Love, Psyche, and Soul with Danielle Burns. If you have a question about our program or story you'd like to share with our listeners, we'd love to hear from you by email to lovepsychesoul at gmail.com. Again, that's lovepsychesoul at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of Love, Psyche, and Soul. Today, we're exploring the reflection scene in the world premised on new paradigms of psychological flourishing and the meaningful connections we establish with nature and the internal and external relationships as well. The methods we use to attune to these elements help us achieve our own significant experience. And we were listening to the story of our very special guest, Dr. Jennifer Selig, whom we will meet in just a moment. But I'd like you to consider that it's through these harsh, bleak experiences that one weaves together the broken pieces of the self, assembling it into a united whole. The function of the personal tearing uh, into broken pieces is deemed a creative necessity. So I would like you to get ready for what happens next in this narrative. And now, we will continue listening to our featured story. I fell and I heard a snap. And when I caught my breath and sat up, I saw that my lower leg was bent at a 45 degree angle away from my upper leg. That snap I heard were my tendons. And as bad as that accident was, and it was bad, I've had so many surgeries on that knee since then. But I was aware in that moment and ever since that I would have died if I didn't fall. Once again, a sudden violent death out of the blue, senseless. In my second encounter, when I was 21, a few months later, I was finally back at work at the hospital. I'll never forget this day. It was a Saturday, and I was in the back room of the lab when a coworker came and handed me an emergency request slip for four pints of blood. As I walked back to the blood bank area, I looked down at the name on the slip. Her name was Donetta. She had just graduated from high school, and it was summer, and we had recently met for lunch. There was a new song just out. It was called Forever Young by Alphaville. I picked her up in my Toyota Tercel and I played it for her. The lyrics to that song are seared in my memory. Let's dance in style, let's dance for a while. Heaven can wait, we're only watching the skies. Hoping for the best, but expecting the worst. Are you going to drop the bomb or not? Let us die young or let us live forever. We don't have the power, but we never say never. Forever young, I want to be forever young. Do you really want to live forever, forever and ever? She loved the song like I did. We played it all the way to the restaurant and back to her car again. And I promised I'd make her a copy of it and give it to her next time we met. We had a great lunch together. And she paid for it, even though I insisted on splitting it. 
She told me I could pay for lunch next time when I bought her the cassette tape. There wasn't a next time. She died that Saturday. No amount of blood transfusions could save her. She had been driving on the freeway, maybe thinking of that song, when out of nowhere an 18-wheeler ran a stoplight and plowed into her little boxy Honda Civic. I was haunted. I probably still am haunted by those song lyrics, by the synchronicity in playing that song for her. Forever young. I want to be forever young. You know, the song talks about watching the skies for a bomb to drop, but her death was like a bomb for me. One I didn't and couldn't see coming. I was haunted by the fact that she would be forever young. And that line, let's dance in style, let's dance for a while. I was haunted by the idea that we only get a dance for a while. One night after her funeral, I couldn't stop crying. And I felt compelled to drive out to the cemetery and visit her grave. Sitting there that night, I made her a promise that I would live my life fully, that I would dance in style, that I would dance through life for a while for the two of us almost like living for two. I would experience everything I could and I would live as loud and as boldly as possible and take it all in, almost like I would be her eyes and ears on earth and see and do what she couldn't. Third experience. That same year, in this heightened state of awareness about death, I started to work on the fourth ward of the hospital which was a wing for the elderly and dying. Most people did not survive the fourth ward. They weren't going home. Many of them were in comas or vegetative states, but there were some who were fully conscious and knew they were dying. Sometimes they would want to talk to me when I came in to draw their blood or do an EKG or some other lab test. Maybe they knew I was really sensitive to death, Maybe they saw something in my face or my eyes, I don't know. But some of them would share their feelings. One man I remember so clearly. He was crying when I came into his room. I asked if he was okay and he told me he just wanted to die so badly. I asked him if he was in pain. No, no, he said. He just wanted to die and go be with his wife who had died earlier that year. He told me he felt so bad. After she died, he realized he was never the husband he wanted to be. He worked too much. He didn't spend enough time with her. He was all caught up in making money and advancing in his career. And he never told her he loved her enough. Never paid enough attention to her. Didn't give her enough presence, enough affection. He went on and on. After she died, he realized what a terrible husband he was and how she deserved so much better. I just want to die, he said, and see her again, and wrap her in my arms and tell her how sorry I am, and try to make it right. Can you help me, he said. Can you help me die? Pointing to the machines in the room that I assumed he wanted me to unplug. Of course I didn't, I might couldn't, and he knew that too. Before I left his room, though, he took both of my hands in his, 
And he told me to remember that love is the only thing that matters and not to end up at the end of my life in bed, regretting how I lived my life, focusing on the wrong things. Although sudden deaths in my life are the possibility of sudden death, and then these experiences with people dying on the other end of life, all of them served as messengers, telling me to make the most of my life because I might die young and suddenly, and I didn't want to waste any of the time I had. And even if I didn't die suddenly, I knew I didn't want to be on my deathbed feeling like I had wasted my life. I'm 54 years old now, and I've had other encounters with death, both sudden and natural. But I'll never forget those lessons about the preciousness of life and the precariousness of death that were seared into my psyche between the ages of 12 and 21. a moment of reflection in the life of our special guest, Dr. Jennifer Selig. And now I have the privilege of introducing all of you to her, and we will have Dr. Selig share the wonderment explored by the soul as it intervenes and countervails in the midst of this story. Jennifer, hello, and welcome to the show. Hello, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, it's such a pleasure to welcome you. And and. One of the things I'm thinking about is how your narrative mends together a rich tapestry of lives and stories in a beautiful, seamless way where the listener becomes drawn into a metaphorical pattern of complexity and mystery surrounding these lives and relationships. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how this story, how your story informs your journey of the soul? Oh, it's a great question. Um, I guess the short answer is it it informs it in every way. I mean, there's not a relationship I have with someone where I'm not aware of the the preciousness of the time that we have together and um, the importance of really showing my love and expressing my love and not taking anyone for granted or any time for granted. Um, you know, that, that old idea about never going to bed angry is sort of something that I live with all the time. And uh, it's also given me this, this kind of early understanding of death. It's given me a, a distaste, really, for small talk and for wasting mm-hmm. time. Um, and that shows up in my, in my teaching, and it always has, where I, where I always want to, to teach what matters, um, to 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 teach from the from from the heart um, matters of the heart, and then I guess the the third area it informs is is every aspect of my creative life as well. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a writer, and I'm really driven, particularly uh, at this stage in my life at 54. I'm really driven to to write all all my books now. Um, you know, kind of to leave behind what I've learned in life while I still can. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a, a, a real passion and a drive, uh, a drive there. And just, you know, constantly this, this awareness um, of this uh, archetypal pull of, of life and creation mm-hmm. versus death and destruction, really. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I was thinking about is 
how your story just sort of demonstrates that rather than healing being something one does, your story sort of redirects this notion toward recognizing and understanding and embracing healing as a mode of psychological feeling and experiencing, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about that. Yes. Well, you know, every every encounter that I had, uh, all those six encounters that I had, um, the the flip side of the potential of death, or in some cases, the literalness of death, is healing. Um, is you know is creation and is recreation. And mm-hmm. every, every encounter I had, I get the opportunity to sort of recreate my life um, in a way that was that was more on purpose, really. Um, and then also to to heal, I mean, it's kind of informed me about healing relationships. It, it's it's so important for me to heal relationships. And I, I think um, I think a lot, and not in a morbid way, but in a, in a really purpose driven way. I think a lot about um, about if I were that man, if I if I have the the luxury of living a long life, uh, laying on my deathbed someday, thinking back, I don't want to leave behind a life full of regrets. Mm-hmm. And that's also um, that's also very very healing, and it teaches you of the importance of doing the healing work now. Mm-hmm. Doing the healing work now is something that lots of us are are either doing or either attempting to do through some of the things that we try to get a hold of, things that teach us. And as I'm beginning to get into your new book, Deep Creativity, Seven Ways to Spark Your Creative Spirit, this unique creatively cultural work also embodies the idea of unity and diversity. The other thing I thought is the unique symbolism of creativity, of deep creativity, being linked to such concepts as suffering and healing, which again connects with your story. And this sort of draws together both the inner and the outer elements of psyche and community. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about how this work blends these facets together for new readers. Mm, Yeah, thank you. Um, so deep creativity is uh, it, it is a, my latest book. It just came out um, last month, and it's a co-authored book with um, with two of my colleagues, uh, Deborah Quibell and Dennis Slattery. And in in the book, we look at seven ways of sparking your creative spirit, and these are just archetypal ways as well. And I know that's an important concept for you and your listeners. Um, but how creativity is informed by suffering. There's three chapters on that. How it's informed by by love. Uh, how it's informed by nature and the muse, et cetera. And all of these aspects of our kind of everyday lives that we live um, and, and the diverse experiences that we have in life can all kind of come together and, and be a, mm-hmm. a material for archetypal transformation and, and creative growth and healing. And so the, the book contains essays by the three of us on each one of these seven ways, kind of showing how we've, we've unified um, those ways into our own creative lives, and and I hope you as you as you read the book and you hear our our diverse perspectives really on these on these subjects that also that you start to feel that same way about your own creative life and kind of what unifies it together as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you so much, Jennifer. And to our listeners out there, we've got more to come of this beautiful enlightening book from our 
guest, Dr. Jennifer Selig, and how this book sort of underscores the notion of human beings interacting with the enveloping world, of their regaining awareness of the many rooms and voices of inner experience. So stay tuned. We'll be right back right after this short break. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. Everything changes. All roads lead to an end. Yet, here on the sea of the setting sun, you can experience the bliss of movement and never say goodbye. With the wind at your side, swaying to the currents of life, you can listen to velvety skies whispering inviting you to pause and reflect along this lover's aisle. Conscious healing and consulting facilitates new levels of empowerment, growth, and awareness using techniques rooted in wisdom, traditions of the heart, and other ways of knowing. While we can't change difficult situations in your past, we will work together to better understand your present circumstances for a more meaningful life. Why not slow down and set yourself free? Let the wonder of your heart, soul, and imagination set sail for a change. Visit Conscious Healing and Consulting on the web at ConsciousHealingConsult.com. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are tuned in to Love, Psyche, and Soul with Danielle Burns. If you have a question about our program or story you'd like to share with our listeners, we'd love to hear from you by email to lovepsychesoul at gmail.com. Again, that's lovepsychesoul at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Ah, thank you for staying tuned in to this week's episode of Love, Psyche, and Soul. Today, we are exploring the reflection scene in the world and how it reveals the nature of the self and all of its brightness and complexity. We were chatting with our very special guest, Dr. Jennifer Selig, as she began to explore the events, situations, and people connected with her soulful experiences throughout life in connection with her new book, Deep Creativity, Seven Ways to Spark Your Creative Spirit. And as we consider this beautiful idea, Perceived through the seat of the soul, where suffering leads to longings constructed within the heart. 
this summons the generosity and courage to tell stories that act as memoirs of healing and hope, putting into context what was recollected as ill-sorted fragments and organizing them into a tapestry that replenishes and restores. And so as we continue to explore Jennifer's new book, Jennifer, I'd like to invite you to tell us how this work helps the reader reconcile these memories of longing, healing, and hope. Oh, yeah, that's a great question. I like that, the memoirs of healing and hope. It's a great phrase. Um, We have a a chapter in the book on, a chapter in the book on suffering. And in in the book, we have exercises after each one of the chapters, and we have um, reflective um, practices that we suggest people do, creative practices that people do. And mm-hmm. so thinking about the, the chapter on suffering, I tell a story about my um, uh, relationship with my father, who I was separated from when I was uh, less than one years old and never saw again. It was a very um, painful experience, obviously, and it's inflected all of my life. And I talk about ways that we can use our creativity to kind of heal and repair those broken relationships. And one way I was able to do that, work with that, was to, um, to write a screenplay about a father figure to a little girl who helped her to heal. And as she was healed, she helped mm-hmm. him to heal as well. And so that, that um, creative expression also helped to heal that little wounded girl inside of me too. And so the, um, the creative practice that I suggest in that chapter is called return, restore, and repair. So kind of return to the memory, um, restore it in some kind of creative way, whether you write a new story Mm -hmm. about it, whether Mm -hmm. you create a dance out of it, whether you write a song about it, and allow that to to help to repair the suffering of your psyche. Uh, And so that's just one example from the the book of ways that we can work with, with with our memories creatively. Mm-hmm. Deep creativity, seven ways to spark your creative spirit. Again, I'd, I'd love to invite our listeners to get a hold of their copy of the book. And as I turn back to you, Jennifer, um, I'm sure that they'll want to get more detail about that. So how might our listeners do so? Where can they find your beautiful book? Sure. Um, we are on Facebook. If, for those of you who are on Facebook, we have a page called Deep Creativity Community, and uh, you're welcome to come here and like the like the page and find out what we're doing, more about the book, um, where we'll be leading classes and, and doing writing retreats, etc. And so come join us there. And you can also find me on my website, www.jenniferleeselig.com. Beautiful. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us today. And I hope that you'll just go ahead and stay on. We have a few more gifts, a few more songs to share with our listeners, Um, songs that connect to the message that we've heard today. Today, for all of you, I wish to share with you three copywritten songs I wrote about the reflection scene in the world, just sort of piggybacking off of Jennifer's story and that beautiful, beautiful work, Deep Creativity. First, I'll have you consider that nature should embody a feeling of relaxation and inspiration. Secondly, it should espouse an all-embracing system of connection with natural life forms. And finally, one should feel an intimate connection with the soul of the earth. 
And these are beautiful gifts, not just inspired by this wonderful work that Jennifer has talked about, deep creativity, but they're also some beautiful musical gifts, once again, that I wish to give you today. And so now we will begin with our first featured song entitled Clock Reflects Vision. Reflects vision, seasons move timely, rhythm of the hour, fate of the moment, stage of ascension, dreams move close by, living in the vision, death in the making, afraid no Self-erect, shaking off trauma, securing the heart. suspicion or sudden insight, we move through the apparent to the less apparent, we use metaphors of light, a flicker, a slow dawning, a lightning flash, as things become clarified. When the clarity has itself become obvious and transparent, there seems to grow within it a new darkness, a new question or doubt, requiring a new act of insight, penetrating again toward the less apparent. I'll have you keep that in mind as we now begin our second featured song entitled Time Precious. Everything hard, imagine time, reach within. Playing encounters, pieces stained, voices soothing deep inside. 
Today's episode of Love, Psyche, and Soul. 
And I invite you once again to get a hold of Jennifer's book, Deep Creativity, which inspired these beautiful gifts where the clock reflects vision, where time is precious, and where hidden blessings lurk beneath. And I invite you as well to follow me on Instagram at Love Psyche and Soul. Follow me on Twitter at Body Soul Healer. Definitely follow Jennifer at all of the beautiful, beautiful sources of information she offered. And then, of course, if you're looking to listen to me on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and other platforms, many of those other sources are available to you. And be sure to join me again next week for more soothing melodies and heartfelt rhythms. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you for listening to Love, Psyche, and Soul. Please join Danielle Burns for another episode of Rich Stories and Healing Melodies next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, we wish you a weekend full of heartfelt wisdom. 